Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Plot Devices mini-sode, another spoiler review. If you are joining our uh, Batman spoiler review from a while back, this is in a similar vein. And yes, we're sending the comic book movies on this because, you know, they exist and we like to talk about them. And this, I think, is warranted. Uh, my name is Brandon King. I'm one of your hosts for today, alongside my trusted co-host, Noah Guzman. Noah, how are you today? Happy to be talking Multiverse of Madness with you, Brandon. This was, I think, on both of our uh, most anticipated lists for this year and this is, of course, the episode where we are detailing everything. We are revealing all of all of the details that you can expect to hear um, and find out once you watch it. Uh, we felt like we had to do a spoiler discussion ahead of our full episode just because we know how many of you are rushing to the theaters and how many of you want to talk about all the stuff that went down. So, yeah, once we're ready to go, I'm, I've got a list and I'm ready to go. Yes, of course, we're talking all things spoilers and madness of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which, again, if you have not seen the movie, turn away from this now. We will have our non-spoiler review out probably next week. If you have seen the movie, which apparently a lot of people have, it's making a lot of money. Spoiler rounds are already going out online. We'll talk about that. Uh, Please enjoy this and we will hop into it. So, Noah, kicking this off, um, we are going to talk. How did this MCU film feel you know what is that immediate audience reaction that you and i had uh, this was a film that brandon and i for the first time the plot device crew has seen the movie together in theaters um so brandon i'm gonna actually ask you first watching this film tell me how you felt upon its you know the start of the movie and how did that kind of change as as you were watching it the viewing experience do tell felt a bit lackluster because I settled for a water couple. You had the full-blown stack spiel, so. Oh, you know, I always got to have my my popcorn, jalapenos, and. And I respect that. But no, uh, even getting back into it, the idea of this as you and I are both fans of the original Doctor Strange, like we've wanted to see where that character has gone after the Infinity movies. And I think as far as an MCU experience goes, you know, it's a little biased because we saw it, you know, packed to opening screening, you know, everyone reacting to the big moments as they were. But I think even in regards to the MCU tone, this takes the whole thing and flips it on its head for better or worse. And we will hop into everything that Raimi does with this. But I think it is one of the more unique offerings the MCU has ever done, again, for better or worse. Yeah, I think that that's going to kind of dominate the discussion here is that this is it's refreshing for Marvel to have this in its, in its slate of so many, you know, varying movies and including varying heroes and some of them kind of feeling familiar and others not feeling, you know, uh, as fitting or uniform, I guess I should say. And this is one of those, I think this is a break from what people have expected and what they've received time and time again with every Marvel release. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we got in, you know, a legacy director. I'm a big fan of the evil dead, like I've mentioned before. And to, to have Raimi come in and like you say, kind of, come back to comic book movies, but this time already find establishment, you know, for Spider-Man. Um, I, I believe I was reading that that was something that he kind of had to build uh, with his crew, like from the ground up, you know, establish character backgrounds and whatnot. But coming into the MCU, I wonder how a director feels having all these toys already kind of like played with and figuring out how can I use them in my way and use them his way. He does like this. This is a complete Raimi film. And I think it takes a, a, a little while for the film to get that, you know, um, in order for you to feel that as an audience member. Um, because at the start of the film, I kind of didn't feel like it was going to surprise me or it was going to be all that um, stylistic. You know, I, I expected kind of just another trippy, uh, <laughs> mystical arts kind of movie. But we have now the Scarlet Witch joining Dr. Stephen Strange. And I, I wanted to know how she was going to shake things up. So Let's go ahead and just ask the big question, okay? Brandon, 
did we enjoy the transition of our Wanda Maximoff, who's probably been in like, I don't know, like probably like six or seven movies. I can't, I'm not counting them, but how did we feel witnessing Wanda Maximoff be like succumb to the Scarlet Witch in her and become the villain of this movie? Was it expected? And as it happened, what did you think? I get the counter argument behind that, which is the idea of when we last, and again, all spoilers. So we are talking about WandaVision. We're talking about the original Doctor Strange. We're getting into all of that. Like getting to the end of WandaVision, I get the idea that by the end of that show, she has had to reconcile with her trauma and the horrible results that have come from that trauma and try to reemphasize that. Obviously, we get the tease with the Darkhold at the end, but like the actual proper end of WandaVision ends on a more optimistic note that is more counteracted by whatever comes about in this. On the one hand, we'll talk about the script, but I do like the idea of the Darkhold being the the MacGuffin that enhances the darks from the person. I think Wanda in particular as a character has so much darkness that we have touched on and that we've really gotten to explore within the MCU, but really never delved into the personal aspects until WandaVision. And I think turning that up to 11 with, you know, Raimi's direction and Waldron's script, I think, number one, Olsen is completely up to the task. She's absolutely brilliant in this. She might be the best performance in this movie. I still put her performance in WandaVision just slightly above just because she gets more stuff to do in this, but what she has to do is nothing less than staggering. She absolutely lives up to it. She's become one hell of an actress. But I think even beyond that, it also, it ties into a big idea about the film, about the idea of Stephen, Wanda, and America Chavez, who we'll also get to, and the three of their distinct ideas about what happiness is and whether or not they deserve those levels of happiness. And I like the idea that for Wanda, it's the darker edge that, you know, we talk so much about Marvel villains becoming, oh, the opposite of the hero and that kind of thing. And Wanda and Steven are opposites, but not in, you know, powers or aesthetics. They're opposite in terms of emotionality. And I like that direction of, I like that kind of dichotomy that we wind up with, with Wanda and Steven as characters. I love your mention of her, her breakthrough performance, like as a uh, superhero in the MCU, who's always been kind of, uh, I don't want to say sidelined because Wanda has always been like at the forefront of the Avengers uh, since Age of Ultron. And of course, the power levels just escalated ever since we saw her there um, to the point where she was 1v1ing Thanos in Endgame and everybody was freaking out as she strips him of his armor. Um, in WandaVision, I think we have uh, this wonderful transformation of how Wanda can be this powerful being in her own right without having a vision like always beside her uh which felt like the path for her when we were watching infinity war um of course i think um i can't remember if they got married or not but anyways um they didn't and so now that we have her truly as an independent and now like at the peak of her power because she is the Scarlet Witch, we learned from WandaVision that she is stronger than the Sorcerer Supreme. So going into this, all I can think is, you know, are, are we going to get a showdown between the Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange? Like, is that going to happen? Because I'm kind of, I'm, I'm waiting for that moment. And so I'm watching the movie and I'm, I'm a little bit sweaty because I'm figuring out, okay, what is Wanda going to do here? And very quickly, I think Steven approaches her with this conversation about the multiverse and it's revealed that she's actually the one hunting um, America Chavez. And I just feel like it was out of nowhere that our, our lovable, like our, our Wanda is now killing and like hurting people. What, what pained her so much to do in Westview, of course, in the city in WandaVision was um, she manipulated an entire city, but I think the most I guess like painful thing you saw her do was really like choke 
she, she was choking people around her. So now in the first 20 minutes of multiverse of madness, she's like incinerating sorcerers at, um, at, you know, at the base that has Comitage. all of the commentage. That was her, that was painful to watch. Like I, I just, I couldn't believe it, honestly, because it happened so quickly. And the reason why I brought up Game of Thrones earlier for any listeners who watch Game of Thrones, the same kind of transition happens for one of our leading characters by, by the final like act of the, sh- of the series. And it makes you feel like it was, uh, it was like, it, it makes you question whether it was always planned to be this way. And so, you know, once we discuss the films, uh, and, Ding. I think you and I will have different ideas of like where the future of Wanda and the future of this um, storyline can go. But my reaction was so, so much surprise, so much surprise, but also intrigue because yes, she's at the peak of her power now. And while she's in the multiverse, there's no bars holding her back. She can really just, she is insane. This movie's insane. Okay. I didn't expect her to rip apart certain characters that we saw or blow their minds, but of course we get to that. So, um, you know, before I start picking different pieces of this, uh, film apart, uh, let's introduce some of the newer characters. So, um, we do have an addition to the, to the cast in, uh, so Gomez and she plays uh, America Chavez, who is the superhero punching through dimensions, through multiverses, in other universes where there are the same, like there's different Stevens, there are different Iron Man, there are different Captain Marvels, you know, they're across different universes. America Chavez is one of a kind. And I think that's so special about her. Um, and so at the start of this movie, she's running from somebody. We know that she's being hunted. She's with a variant of Doctor Strange and he is killed. And so she is, um, she ends up on the earth that we know with all of our familiar heroes. And that's where she meets Stephen Strange. And that's where this quest kind of begins about the multiverse. And that's when Dr. Strange goes and confronts Wanda and Wanda attacks. So um, uh, plenty of new things going on here, but a lot of it coming at you at once, Brandon, just focusing on America Chavez. How did you feel about this addition to the, um, the heroes that we know? See, that is, I think, and I do want to bring up socialist performance in this. I want to talk quickly about the costumes because you had mentioned the idea of cosplaying as America for Halloween, which I'm all for. But I also think, I also think that leads into, I think America's costume is great. I think even in the comics, it's not that complicated. And again, I should preface, I don't have much experience with America Chavez in the comics, only like brief mentions here and there. But like, I like the comic costume. I like how it translates. I like how her powers translate. I think the star portals could have been so goofy and yet they kind of work for what they need to be. Uh, but beyond that, I just wanted to quickly mention, I love the intro uh, alternate Doctor Strange costume. I love later on with like the zombie look, but I love like the uh, the tide. I know he makes fun of the ponytail. I like the ponytail, the whole like red and black gi looking thing. That being said, America's a character I I think is the biggest casualty of the script. I think she's treated a bit too much like a damsel in distress for her own good. That being said, she is still given a lot of agency for what she needs to do for the story. And social Gomez, I saw her in babysitters club like a year and a half ago when she was announced for this. She's delightful on that. And I think this is a great launching off point for her as an actress. I cannot wait to see what she does next. I would love to see, frankly, a Wong America series because I love the idea of, well, if Ned's forgotten his memories from No Way Home, let's get a, you know, young magic prodigy in America. That could be really cool. But if you want to point to shortcomings in the script, I wish they had given her more to do that wasn't just being captured by Wanda. And what's unfortunate is as soon as it does give her more to do, you know, once they do travel about the multiverse and she can kind of serve as a guide to Doctor Strange, that's that's immediately like moved. It's, it's moved on from. And I felt like, in this movie, we have the title Multiverse of Madness. We, I think we have the wrong 
title here. Like, I think that it was a mistake naming this multiverse of madness when we did not experience a multiverse that felt like more than a handful of universes. I think that um, this movie, when it comes to like its heavier plot points, I think it has to do with the Darkhold. I think it has to do with the Scarlet Witch being um, drawn and like seduced by this power. And so I, I just, I feel like in a, in a movie where I expected to be hopping about universe, 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 and seeing so many different versions of our characters, uh, we got lucky to see uh, three uh, Doctor Stranges and, or I'm sorry, maybe I think it's actually two. Cause one of them's just the undead and um, technically four. Yes, you're right. No, you're right. I remember because the, there's the dark Stephen Strange. There's the one with the uh, universes. Um, well, the, there's ours. There's the initial one. There's the one from the Illuminati universe. And there's the incursion one. Incursion. Oh, my gosh, Brandon. OK, this movie leaves me questioning because I'm thinking about multiple universes. I'm thinking about variants. OK, I'm thinking about the Loki series. And it, and it makes me question if I was applying intelligence to this movie as as a viewer i don't really understand if variants are the same thing as another universe's version of you i think that's exactly what it is isn't it ha okay no perfect perfect i could have sworn did loki not establish the concept that like variants are just other used from different universes yes and loki series was all about him traveling with the TVA and who we they, don't see any of in this movie, which is a little weird. <laughs> and then reading, um, reading like the Wikipedia page, it mentioned that early versions of the script. I don't know if it was the script, but it did mention like maybe Loki was going to pop up in this movie. Um, and I was just asking questions like, whoa, like how would that have worked? But um, who knows? Uh, anyways, moving on. I just think that um, I was excited to return to the Westview family. You know, we do see Billy and Tommy again, Wanda's children. Uh, I wonder Once again, played by uh, Julian Hilliard and Jet Klein. Those little boys are wonderful to watch when they sing a song about ice cream. It was just adorable. I need to talk to a viewer like eventually when I go see this movie again, because it is like it's an experience. I want to take my partner and she hasn't actually watched the WandaVision series. So I would be curious to know what she can gather from this movie, like as a standalone feat, as a standalone feature. I know that it's a sequel, but I still think like some of our characters could have, um, this is one of my like kind of picky points. And it's that Dr. Strange for as important as he is. And for as like focused as he is as a hero across these different movies in this sequel, he doesn't have a lot of characters other than Wong and Wanda um, to understand like him from the first movie. You know what I mean? Like his relationships don't really carry over to the sequel. He just meets a lot of variant um, heroes. And unfortunately that just caught like it ruptures any kind of relationships or like buildings for Steve, for Dr. Strange, um, which I found unfortunate. You know, I, I did want to see growth for him rather than like this kind of, multiversal adventure that felt like a horror show this isn't a very weird place as a sequel because i think you have to view it as i know people said like oh it's much as it's as much wanda's movie as a steven's movie and i agree but it's also as much a wandavision sequel as it is a doctor strange 2016 sequel and i think it works better as a wandavision sequel and the idea that the consequences of that are carried over like you said much better than the 2016 doctor strange is like we see Wong, we hear about the ancient one, we, we see a couple of like the old sorcerers, the guy, the Minotaur guy from Kamartage is a cool thing, like example. But again, it's that idea of, you know, 
Rachel McAdams is a variant. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor is a variant. Like, those are all characters who we are established through Steven, but if you had been engaged with that world from the first movie, you're not going to get that much of it. No. Um, I, I think America Chavez is a great uh, character because of her place in this multiversal world, but unfortunately, like, you're right. The script doesn't allow her to do much other than be rescued by Doctor Strange and really just kind of she's playing the, the you know the hero who is still understanding her definition of the word or what it means for how does she fit um along with her powers how does she control them and i think maybe even her and wanda could have could have had something there like i think she could have guided wanda to a, a, another perspective which would have still worked for wanda's development for for her you know loss of control and then regaining it again it feels like there is I've seen people say like, oh, the script needs like one or two more passes added to it. And I'm like, I feel like America as a character needs one or two more cracks. Like, what if there was that thing of like the Doctor Strange that she is running with? Like, what if she's been trying to save Doctor Strange throughout the multiverse? Like she's been running from one just like this is the worst one, like that kind of deal. Or even going back to the idea of like her parents, like maybe they were, you know, partnered with the Illuminati to like stop vigilantes who mean too much across the multiverse. Like there's so many things you can do with that. And they kind of wind up feeling disparate threads that don't really tie in as much as they should. Definitely. I think it's time we talk about the cameos and we talk about the characters Let's do it. Um, from earth. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you the name of the earth, but I know um, that they're, they pull 838. I know that they pull, you know, the same usage of, uh, you know, uh, terminology applying to our earth, which is like 616. Don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> and then other um, universes are assigned different numbers. Like it's cool to see Dr. Christine Palmer, Rachel McAdams. It's cool to see her like as the, as the, you know, the leading scientist or one of the leading scientists in on that universe, because um, it, it's nice to just see Stephen Strange get one upped by somebody and especially his former lover in another world. Uh so in this new world, yes, they are guided by the Illuminati, where Doctor Strange was a former member, member before he gave his life after, I'm sorry, he was actually, he was killed because of his actions to uh, eliminate Thanos. Killed and by who, Noah? He is killed by none other than Black Bolt, baby. And the words Black Bolt speaks that completely obliterate Doctor Strange are I'm sorry and it's it's so painful but so so right to witness because uh this is my, my first time experiencing a black bolt on screen I didn't watch Inhumans and I'm not familiar with any like cartoon iterations of the character so uh the actor who played Black Bolt I thought uh was great he had no words to say but when he used them uh they were so powerful and uh it was a lot of fun so members of the Illuminati Black Bolt is one of them Brandon care to reveal the rest we have, in order, uh, we have an alternate version of Baron Mordo, once again played by Chiosa LG4, who, again, going to costumes, I love his costume in this. I liked his one in the first one, but I love, like, the dreads and the kind of green armor look. Sorry, that's a whole thing. Uh, we also have Maria Rambeau, of course, a variant from Captain Marvel, once again played by Lashana Lynch. We have a version of Captain Carter, played once again by Haley Atwell. We have... Captain Carter! Carter. We have um, Professor X, a variant of that play once again by Patrick Stewart. And then, of course, there is the big one that, of course, got the scream out of me. They did it. They freaking did it. They cast John Krasinski as Reed Richards. They cast John Krasinski as Reed Richards. And 
I was waiting. I was waiting for Emily Blunt to not be invisible and <laughs> reveal herself to be the invisible woman uh, because he does mention his wife. He mentions his kids. Um, I think before we even see him, we hear the Baxter Foundation. John Krasinski, man, this has been like a a tweet. You know, this was something that I just saw on my social feeds of fan casting. Everybody wants to see John Krasinski and Emily Blunt as uh, Fantastic Four, uh, Reed Richards and Sue Storm. And then out of nowhere, it happens. But... You know, we're excited, we're, we're giddy because, oh my gosh, like this is real, but it makes you go, okay, but can we still have him? Like, can he still be Mr. Fantastic on our earth? Because we saw him, we saw him show up. Um, <laughs> he's a member of the Illuminati, so he has that kind of authority, but then Wanda rips him to bits. Uh, but I'm not done talking about the Illuminati members. So uh, freaking out still about uh, Professor X being involved, who of course wasn't the biggest surprise because we did hear his voice uh, in the trailer, but it just led to questions. It led to begging questions of everyone going like, are they really going to include him? Or, oh my gosh, like what if Deadpool shows up? Just kidding. Um, and uh, after watching the what if series and covering that, it just, it geared you up for excitement when you saw Captain Carter um, we have uh, another iteration of Captain Marvel, which was, uh, which is great to see just, uh, another another evolution of the character where she can become. I'm sorry, I'm glad it's not Monica because I feel like that would have been too blatant a tease for the Marvels. Just like get ready for Monica. I hear you, um, but I mean, I love the 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 continuity, not continuity, but the consistency with at least keeping the Rambo's around. You know, we yes. did have Rambo in Wandavision, so to now have her mother um, here on this Earth, uh, it was it was just great, and then. Mordo, unfortunately, cannot, he can't carry his character's development from the first film because he is a variant on this earth, because he's, he was Dr. Strange's like ally and um, companion when this version of Strange was alive. And so when he sees um, our Dr. Strange, it's so weird to talk about, when he sees our Dr. Strange approach him, he uh, greets him like a, like a friend, you know, a familiar. And I'm like, this, this isn't where we just were. Like you, you just swore like vengeance on Dr. Strange for, for abusing his power in the first film. And where is that? You know, can that, can that show up a little bit? And then um, they give us like a, they give us a fist fight between the two, but it still felt like something was missing there. And he was one of the pieces that could have been carried from the first film to actually make his uh, Dr. Strange's relationships matter. Um, so how did, how did you feel about Mordo and members of the Illuminati? I like the idea of the alternate Mordo. I like the idea of, especially if you're a fan of the first film, going from like where we see him at the end, it's like, ah, you know, screw magic. I want to get rid of it all to going to another universe where he has embraced it all to become the source of, uh, source of Supreme. Like, that's an interesting idea. At the end of the day, though, yeah, it the cameos to me felt a bit hollow, especially because of the fact that that whole Illuminati sequence goes for way too long and I think does way too little other than just establish the concept of the Illuminati. Like someone actually made the joke online of just like, I wonder, the, you know, conspiracy theory, if, you know, Disney just bought Fox to kill off Fox Marvel characters. And I'm like, well, there's your exhibits A and B, uh, which I think is kind of funny. But it leads to that idea of, I think Mordo makes for a good foil to Strange. But it's still a little disappointing that it's been six years and throughout every other Marvel property, we have no idea what, you know, Prime 616, uh, Prime 616 Mordo is doing. Like, you have a movie which is all about the idea of a magical witch going through the multiverse to destroy everything. Uh, Mordo was talking about that in the last movie. We could have him as an antagonist for this. Oh, boy. And yes, I haven't rewatched it yet. And you've seen the movie now twice, Brandon. But if that Illuminati scene feels long, 
why? Why should it feel long when immediately after our members are obliterated by the Scarlet Witch? I'm talking Black Bolt's head bursting, Captain Carter getting sliced and diced in half. Uh, we have Captain Marvel being crushed. Uh, Reed getting spaghettified. <laughs> Reed getting spaghettified. He's he's shredded like some cheese. And um, what happens to Professor X? Oh my gosh, he gets his neck snapped. In what is essentially, if you wanted to bring forth the, you know, the drag me to hell, evil dead comparisons, that's probably the most apt you get with the whole like graveyard and the rubble and then the red dust. And it, it's shot really well, but it's basically Raimi going, you know who I am. And I thought the film was going... That yes, this is the next point where Professor X will pull Wanda out of you know this this rut that she's in, uh, being succumbed by this power. But then, it, but then it doesn't happen. <laughs> then, it, then nothing happens with the 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 uh, what's the one like the crushed Wanda that we find in her mind. Nothing happens with her. It is one hundred percent a chance to go like, see, they're related because of X Men, and then nah. But again, like that goes back to my point of just like. It's cool. I love the idea. And the fact that they mention incursions and go to an incursion-based universe tells me more than ever they are going to Secret Wars, and I think they're mad for doing it, but whatever. But beyond the idea of just establishing all of that and for some real fan service, it's like, this isn't the Ansem Mount we meant in the Inhuman series. This isn't the Captain Carter we meant in What If. Like, these are all just different versions that are meant to be cool things. And for a movie that for a while was so concerned about the idea of Steven and Wanda and America's kind of trifecta journey, it felt sort of like a bottleneck moment of like, well, I guess we're doing this now. Don't mean to beat the point to death, but please allow me to do so. We just came back from watching a, the, you know, the, the, the Spider-Man trilogy with Tom Holland and in the third one, No Way Home. It felt like around every corner we had a a new cameo to kind of freak out and fanboy over. And while I was excited watching it, I mean, of course, I loved seeing Willem Dafoe, you know, my Green Goblin come back um, amongst, you know, all the other characters that returned. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it, but who hasn't seen it? And if you listen, who hasn't seen it that is listening to this? Anyways, um, now going into this movie, it felt like that is... <sighs> I was excited when the conversation centered around Wanda and strange and the multiverse. But when the conversation started to just be intrigue around what these multiverse iterations of our characters could be, you know, I heard one saying Tom Cruise might come as Iron Man. Like, you know, uh, we have Patrick Stewart as professor X. That's exciting. That's great. But then watching the movie, it's like, I don't need to see superhero entrances for every single one of our cameos because it, it felt like it pulls from, you know, why we're all here and what our main plot is, because it felt like this is Strange's adventure. Why am I like, I, I don't want to have a moment where I'm just freaking out over uh, John Krasinski, you know, uh, that's, that's how I felt as a viewer. Uh, Brandon, do you have the same kind of reaction or experience or how would you say that those, these two felt? Because we did just come from a film that littered with cameos after cameos yeah i mean i already you know went into it a little bit but to elaborate on your idea i'm glad you brought up the no way home comparison because yeah that film has a bunch of cameos i still don't think you need toby and andrew in that movie but i don't mind the cameos of the villains because they actually fit to serve the story the idea of variants of peter's life coming into this one distilled version of his story and all of them forming a role Minus maybe Lizard, but like everyone else in that story really provides a role to Peter's journey and to that story. Here, all the Illuminati stuff, minus Mordo and minus maybe Professor X you can make an argument for, most of that stuff is just a bottleneck of stuff to foreshadow for future movies and stuff that comic book nerds, i.e. me, will be excited about. And while that's cool, and I was absolutely losing my mind at that, looking back a second time, I kind of felt, well, 
you, as we mentioned, you know, 20 minutes ago, the idea of a multiverse of madness, I think the title should be switched to a madness of the multiverse because the idea that the multiverse is influenced a lot of this. And we even get into that at the end with the whole dark hold in every universe being destroyed, that a kind of idea of there's always going to be this cancer in this universe and we have to destroy it kind of thing. Like that idea, I think, is more prevalent once you look at the Illuminati stuff and it only makes that it makes it less important, which I think was a completely against what I have to believe this is with Feige and Waldron. We're thinking of not Raimi because I have to assume that he was looking more like, look at all this demon stuff that I can do. And that's kind of disappointing. You mentioned Raimi, you mentioned demon stuff. We, we, you mentioned uh, one of his earlier uh, directing projects, which was Drag Me to Hell, a hilarious movie. If any of you want to get scared in the middle of the night and still laugh at a movie that is uh, not not shy about being completely camp. This movie, I think, has those campy elements that you can expect from the director of The Evil Dead. I mean, to <laughs> it's it's immediately like it, it's I'd be surprised if it went over somebody's head as soon as you see this shot of it's like a zoom, but it it rotates as it zooms towards a slamming shut door. And immediately you just go like you'd think of the line, you're all going to die tonight from the evil dead. And that's what I thought. And this happens around the sequence of Wanda's attack on Carmartage. And oh my gosh, does he have fun with it? He has so much fun with this idea of a character who is, who is becoming more and more dark, both in, um, in her like aesthetic, because she gets a darker costume this time around the Scarlet Witch, as well as like her makeup, you know, it feels like everything about her just is getting more grisly by the film's clothes. Um, And I loved what he did. Uh, this is happening like 25 minutes into the movie. I love what he was able to show us um, when it comes to like how scary somebody with that power could be. Uh, you get the same kind of uh, style from the director when we have <laughs> evil, not evil, sorry, dead Dr. Strange be manipulated and like kind of puppeteered by a dream walking Dr. Strange. Uh, the whole concept of dream walking is also very interesting, you know, Missed opportunity to play Season of the Witch and Sweet Dreams by the Arithmetics in this movie. That's a good point. Uh, we should also mention real quick, uh, Bob Murawski, who's done the editing for most of Sam Raimi's movies, came back to do this. Uh, John Mathis is a cinematographer. Uh, but you kind of get the vibe of, you know that Raimi was talking especially to his behind-the-scenes department of like, I want to do the zooms. I want to do kind of the fade-in, fade-outs. There's the... There's that little bit of a goofy moment when, uh, and a lot of this movie is goofy, but like there's a the particular goofy it's moment. It's goofy. Of when, like, after Strange is poisoned with the tea and he falls and, like, it zooms into his face and then it zooms out to Wanda and it's, like, the Danny Elfman guitar solo and I'm like, what is happening with this? Whoa, but wasn't that so great? It, it honestly reminded, it's such a, he's a time, what's the word I'm looking for? Not timely director, but I'm like, that whole sequence of Mordo uh, poisoning, um, he's, like, lacing the tea with something. I was like, this is a very, like, 2000s, like, maybe even a 90s thing to do to, like, make it all, like, it. It, yeah, where the screen literally like slides and expands. Yeah, it warps and you just, uh, you're witnessing this and you're like, oh yeah, this isn't, they're not trying to pull like some CGI trick here. Like they really just want to play with what they can practically. And I think that I, I appreciated that from this director. Uh, you know, he's the one to do it. And I, th- I think honestly, the most wonky CGI, because it's a Marvel movie, we have to put up bad effects. Oh boy. I think the most wonky it gets is during that intro chase sequence with like the squid monster. Like there's a couple moments Definitely. where it's like, well, it's, like, it's just like, it's like Steven's just like an action figure on a wire kind of deal. Oh my gosh. That whole octopus, like squid, octopus, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> they did not have to add in that, that, that popping the eye. Uh... The eye. When the eye popped out of this head, I, I loved it. I lived for that. But um, 
that that was one of those campy moments where I just thought this movie's going to be fun. This movie's going to be a hell of a ride. Um, and it, it most for the most part it was, but it was. It, I think it couldn't balance itself between being that campy, fun, you know, horrorscape ride, and then fitting in Scarlet Witch killing sorcerers, like because that didn't feel campy. That just felt terrible. Like tonally, I think this movie suffers. I think it kind of asks Stephen, it asks Benedict Cumberbatch to, um, of course, he's amazing. We love him. We love his. We love the beard. He often has to look at America or Wong and go you're kidding. Right. And then they go in and they dive into their action. And I don't know, like I felt missed opportunity, missed opportunity. See, I kind of like, I kind of like that vibe. I like the idea that number one, he looks at America like an adult, like, yes, she's a kid obviously, but like he looks at her as mature and having gone through the things that she has. And I, I think that could have gone so easily. I think that also ties into, I know we're making the parallels between Steven and Wanda's arc, but Wanda with her kids as well. Like you mentioned, you know, a couple minutes, couple minutes ago like 10 minutes ago the whole idea of you know her kids singing that song up with the ice cream and it, it's so like generic and cheesy but it works because in that moment number one elizabeth olsen is acting her ass off but beyond that it works for the character because at that moment she will take anything to be around her sons even if it's just you know a goofy jingle pegging for ice cream because the movie knows what to do with that character it just can't quite extend it beyond the, the kind of middle bubble as i called it earlier we did just brush Oh, we talked right now. We discussed Raimi. There's another Raimi one. And that's when Wanda, it's Earth um, 815, 480. What is it, Brandon? Are we talking about the Illuminati-verse? The Illuminati-verse. That's uh, 838. 838's Wanda um, is walking towards the kitchen and she becomes possessed by a dreamwalking 616 Wanda. That, that I, I lived for, okay, you know. That- that was great, but I need to point out something right afterwards, which is when she breaks connection and it shifts back and forth between the temple and her kids, when it just is, it's kind of glitching between her losing track of it. I was like, that's genius. Yes, I think, don't they, like, her entire body movements, like the the blocking there, uh, It's it looks like they just layered on top of each other. It, it surprises yes. me that they were able to keep those, those movements, those... Um, Oh, the posture is just so consistent. It does look amazing. You know, there are some neat tricks in this movie that I think give it that new, fresh feel for this phase four of Marvel. And I, I want more. I want more, but let's talk writing. You know, there has to be, there. They, we can't have this horror story of um, one director being attached to an original script and then creative differences causing a new script to be written. Um, you know, Sam Raimi, for those who are unaware with production details, Sam Raimi was not always attached from the start of this project. Um, it had originally was going to be, um, I believe, written and directed by the Doctor Strange director. Scott Derrickson. Yes. And I think that you feel it when you watch it. This movie kind of feels like, ooh, we're, it's not a scramble, of course, but it, it, I get the vibe that they plucked a director who they knew could give, could elevate its script and its content. Um but it doesn't save it. It does. I don't think it does it complete justice. You know, I already insinuated the idea of like that whole Illuminati sequence and a couple of the other more fanboyish aspects were done by Waldron and Feige and like that whole inner circle. And like, as you mentioned, the idea of like Raimi coming in to escalate it. I think it also goes to the idea of the first Doctor Strange movie, which is not blatantly tied to the Marvel Universe. In fact, it proceeds to kind of rewrite it to an extent, because at that point, we had never really had like a magical element to that minus maybe Thor movies. But I think it goes to the idea of Derrickson, who, from what I hear, because I haven't watched his movies because I'm a scaredy cat, but from what I've heard, his movies are very much distinctive enough to stand on their own, and he was brought in to fit with Marvel. And with Raimi, it's that idea of, 
well, how can you have a movie like this that is so reliant on building and expanding the idea of what the MCU can be with a director who, as everyone on Twitter has rightfully you know, cried out about, is so distinctive and unique and so in his own style about this kind of thing. So it's a very weird kind of mix that we've been getting at the, the idea of, does Raimi escalate this or is he just trying to fit in and making it work? It's an interesting dichotomy that I don't know entirely works, but I'm fascinated every time he tries. And Scott Derrickson, um, we learn, is, is going to pop up later on the full episode of the pod because he, uh, after being unattached from Doctor Strange 2, he's actually writing The Black Phone. So yes. I, I will be checking out that movie because uh, just so fascinating. Um, okay, well, I do have a couple more comparisons, or at least one more comparison with regard to the first Doctor Strange compared to now. And it's that the first movie does a hell of a lot more for allowing us to see the world that the mystic arts, like, or sorry, seeing the the world of the mystic arts with Dr. Strange. I think um, the chase sequences with uh, Mads uh, Mikkelsen um, pursuing Steven throughout a city that's like caving in on itself. Like that is still so fascinating to me that there's visuals from that first movie that I will probably remember whenever I think about Dr. Strange as a character, the visuals from this movie are going to, are going to center around a lot of the Scarlet witch and um, America Chavez and her star portals. And the zombie, zombie strange, of course. Uh, and then the one thing I think is going to stick is that fight scene between um, incursion strange and our music fight, strange. music fight, music fight. Yes, they're literally hurtling music notes towards each other. And oh my gosh, like I'm watching this and I'm going, are you kidding me? Like he's strumming the harp, you know, with his powers and then flinging the the notes to like as an attack. It's just. Oh my gosh, could I have never imagined this? I, I don't hi, know. <laughs> uh, hi, uh, GQ or Vanity Fair, whoever the magazine does department on scene type videos, please get me Sam Raimi, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Danny Elfman doing a video on that. I'm begging you. That was one of the greater sequences um, that just involved like our character, uh, not like just fanboy or fanboy. What am I saying? Fan service. Because um, it ties into the idea of like Doctor Strange and his mythology, the idea of like the macabre between like the whole production design with like the candles and everything. The, the fact that like a harp is like the main kind of MacGuffin in that scene, like everything about that scene is so perfectly Doctor Strange. It's almost insane. Okay, what's left, at least what I want to talk about is, um, for one, we need to give Danny Elfman all the flowers, all the props yes. for for this uh, soundtrack, which I will be playing on YouTube, on Spotify. Like I created a new uh, multiverse playlist just to appreciate uh, this artist's music. Um, they have a whole theme for the squid monster called Gar- Gargantos, I think it's called. Um, and it- it's impressive. Um, my so- only problem is that we don't hear a Giacchino score enough. That's my only issue. Oh, I mean, and we could talk about the ending. I mean, straight up, it seems, it seems to me like uh, we need to talk about the Scarlet Witch possibly dying. Okay, that's the actual ending. So, you know, getting to the end credits later. Uh, she's not dead. They didn't show the body. She's not dead. I see you're still willing to die on that hill. I'm absolutely like, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's movie logic. Very true. Very facts indeed. Um, America Chavez tr- uh, opens up a portal after, you know, being mentored by Strange somewhat throughout this film. Um, a In a hilarious scene that's kind of touching, uh, the zombie undead Strange uh, just reminds America of her power and her control that she does have, even when she thought that she lost it. And so she does manage to get a couple great like punches in on Wanda. And then she opens up a portal to 911 universe. What is it called? 816. 838 universe. And Wanda is able to see in her children 
the fear, regardless of like whether she's their mother or her, or she's always been motivated by her, her love and her care for them. It's, it's the reality. And it's like, she's, she has turned into a monster there. There's one thing that I'm reminded of in the script and it's that repeated message of I'm not a monster. I'm a mother. And uh, in that, in that final scene, she realizes, I think that she is a monster and it's heartbreaking. I mean, if you watch WandaVision and then come see this, you're going to be like, oh my God. <laughs> Where, like when she, when she tells Billy and Tommy, I would never hurt you. It, it works in that moment because we know she's coming from a performance level, but it works even better if you're a WandaVision fan because you're like, no, she would do literally everything in her power to make sure they're safe. I still wanted to see Vision pop up. I wanted him to bring Wanda back to her senses and say, you know, we ap- appreciate this universe and for this for this timeline that we've experienced and Billy and Tommy, maybe they'll come back. Like, I, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe something's going to happen where she can still mother, but I really wanted somebody to remind her that it, you won't y- YOLO. You only get one universe right. here. And sh- I wanted her to be all right with that. Like Wanda clearly has repercussions for her actions in this film. And if she's not dead, what are they going to do with her? Uh, I do want to go back quickly to the idea of two things. Number one, the idea of America beating Wanda. I like the idea that they don't have to overpower America. I think it'd be easier for be like, oh, she doesn't use her powers. And then she's the strongest being there is like, she's not that like she's powerful, but she's not, you know, Wanda or Carol or Thor lever. Like she out, she beats her by outsmarting her, which I like the idea of that. The other thing is you mentioned vision. I'm still conflicted about whether or not we needed vision in this, but it goes to a larger issue of our context of the Marvel movie multiverse. Like I would have loved to see a universe where vision is in fact alive. And she gets to see that fantasy of WandaVision actually played out. Like what if in that universe vision had been alive? It's an idea of like, he just comes home and is like, Hey, I'm home. Why are there two of you? They don't mention him. And so I was waiting for him to come down the stairs and anything like that. If she has this, like, she's not going to be a hero, but she won't be the villain. If she's like a dark influence, just in another universe or in a separate, um, Hell, we spend so much time on Earth. I wonder, I wonder where else the Scarlet Witch can, can actually operate. Um, like, I wonder if she actually is involved in any kind of cosmic stuff, uh, but maybe you would speak, maybe you'd be able to speak to that. Um, in terms of like the comics or? Yeah. Like, is she ever off Earth? Not that I can think of. Right. Ma- like, maybe, maybe in the original Secret Wars, but I, I haven't read that in a long time. So I don't know. <sighs> All right, Brandon, let's talk. Um, what in the Charlize Theron? Yeah, let's actually talk about the after credit scenes. Um, I was not familiar with Clea. I know her like as a character in Doctor Strange lore. And I even told you, I'm just like, I think that's Clea. And you were like, who's Clea? And I'm like, I don't even know either, but I know she's a Doctor Strange character. Uh, but they got Charlize Theron in the MCU. That's big. That is huge. That is, oh, she is amazing. I just recently yeah. um, appreciated her performance in uh, Prometheus as I rewatched it. But to have that, uh, to have her star power up and beside everyone that we already come to know in the Avengers cast. Oh my gosh. Is this going to be a hell of an ensemble just to expect, you know, at the big collab movies, which now it feels like everything's kind of at least half of a collab movie, right. Um, At these major like Avengers movies, I guess I would be so curious about like how her and um, our other heroes like share the screen, because it looks to me like she is some kind of like portal tearing uh, you know, a familiar to Strange, or at least somebody that Strange recognizes, uh, or at least she calls him by name. Uh, we're, we're saying Clea because of um, some research we've done after the movie. Um, 
but it looks like she is yeah tearing through like a gateway between dimensions and that's not too far from america chavez is it or maybe it is is the dark dimension in the multiverse what is the dark dimension questions questions they haven't really really explained it full-blown in the multi i think it's like one of those like outside dimension things it's like all darkness comes from the dark like that kind of thing uh for me I think this leads directly into Doctor Strange 3 because what I think is going to happen is that 3 is going to center around her and Mordo coming back and that idea of like Mordo somehow found her and they've teamed up with Dormammu to like eliminate all magic. Ooh. Well, now all we can do is wait. Um, and talk about we... the end credit scene, which I, st- which having watched the movie a second time, I think it's hilarious. I know people have kind of, you know, boohooed on it. I think it's hilarious that Bruce Campbell gets his moment in the sun and like gets the fourth wall break. I think it's great. Uh, Bruce Campbell was brought back uh, on Earth 838 as like a hot dog salesman. And um, he, he's the first cameo that we see that everybody's kind of like, oh, shit, like, oh, my gosh, Rami brought back uh, Bruce Campbell. And he brought uh, his friend. Strange uh, puts this, uh, cast a sorcery spell and he just starts hitting himself. And we're told that he's going to like keep doing that for like four weeks. So it definitely surprised me when by the end of the film, we're still seeing him at, at the end of those weeks. And he just shouts to the screen, you know, it's over. And then the film closes and we and we're left just like, I, I think, laughing because it, it was a funny moment from uh, from that kind of character. It, have you watched uh, his performance in like Ash versus the Evil Dead? No, I haven't watched any of the Evil Dead stuff. No, I, be, I mean, if, why am I asking you, Brandon? I know you don't like scary <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, well, if we eventually do Rami for directorial debuts, it's Evil Dead is his debut. So let's ask the obvious question. In terms of phase four movies, we've gotten five so far. We've gotten uh, Black Widow. We've gotten Shang-Chi. We've gotten Eternals. We've gotten No Way Home. And now we've got this uh noah where does this rank for you i will go first just to give you a minute to you know think of your own ranking for me from five to one uh black widow is the weakest uh not that it's bad by any means i just think it's the most streamlined of all of them for me actually this is number four uh i love its ambition i love its scale and style to it all but again i think the script kind of holds it back in that bottleneck thing that i kind of mentioned earlier it's good it's not quite great but i would certainly recommend it as a fan of either Rainy style or things like that. Uh, no Way Home is third. I know I wasn't as high on it as you know you and Sam were on our episode, but it was a great Spider-Man story and it was a great kind of opening to where Peter's stories can be from there. Number two for me is Shang-Chi. I know I, again, wasn't super high on it. You could probably switch that in No Way Home for me, but I think it's really solid for what it is. And Destin Daniel Cretton did a great family story in the midst of a Marvel movie. And number one for me is Eternals. In terms of scale, in terms of characters, it just does so much right that I think is going to be recognized down the line in terms of MCU. So for me, five to one, Black Widow, Multiverse of Madness, No Way Home, Shang-Chi, and then Eternals. Something special about the Phase 4 movies is when they have um, characters who are siblings, they definitely utilize that. For example, the sisters in Black Widow, as well as the brother and sister in Shang-Chi. And I really appreciate that. I think that um, it, it's just such a... Such a I, I don't know, emotional, it carries emotional weight for our characters that um, I appreciate to see and believe when it's done well. And of course, for those two titles, I absolutely believed it. Um, let's go Eternals because I fanboyed hard. And then it's going to go No Way Home. I would say Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange and Black Widow. I think that's as good a ranking as any and it proves why I am the actual villain of this podcast and this show. Thank you all so much for tuning into the Madness of the Spoiler Review. And if you want to let us know what your favorite moments of this movie were, uh, you can, of course, follow us and comment to us on Twitter and Instagram at Plot Devices Pod. That's Twitter and Instagram at Plot Devices Pod. 
You're probably listening to us on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or RSS feed. Why not subscribe to all three? You can follow us on all there. Give us a rating if you like. We love to know how we're doing with the show. And again, comment on what you thought about this review and all the other things. Uh, we're getting on schedule once again back on track. Episode 25 is already out with reviews for things like Sonic the Hedgehog 2, the first two episodes of Moon Knight, and everything everywhere all at once. Go listen to it. We had a ton of fun with that. And episode 26 will be out in the next couple of days as well. And of course, uh, you can follow uh, Noah and myself on ASU Odyssey. Our writings are all over there, including Noah's upcoming review for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That will be up hopefully in the next couple of days. And again, social media links are all in the description. Go check those out there. So for that being said, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is here. We hope we didn't spoil it too much for you. If you, for whatever reason, haven't seen it, go see it. It's fun. Uh, my name is Brandon King. I am alongside Noah Guzman. This has been Plot Devices Minisode Spoiler Review for the Multiverse of Madness. We'll catch you guys next time. Mm-hmm.